I have like a little kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, it's like a rogue sense of humour, a bit of a mischievous streak uh, in me. Occasionally it comes out at home. There's a little game that I like to play uh, with Sandy in the bedroom. Once all the lights kind of go out and it's pitch black, there's this little game we like to play. You don't need to panic. Yeah, I saw some of the looks on some of the faces. Uh, it's okay, kids are in the other rooms. We, we lifted it from PG to MA15+. So uh, we can do it. No, it's not like that at all. Um, it's not like that at all. Where was I? Game I was playing. Or I do play occasionally. But as soon as the room goes dark, like I, I'm generally the last person to bed, so I kill the light. It goes pitch black in the bedroom. And I just kind of, I just freeze and I don't move. And I'm like that for an uncomfortable amount of time until Sandy's like, what's this fool up to? And, and then I'm like, and I start making all these horrible, ghastly sounds, kind of creep around the bedroom and Sandy's like, this is the IQ of the man I've married. Um, but in that, in that moment, she's in the pitch black of the, of the room. She knows that it's just the fool she's married in the room, but her mind is thinking all kinds of crazy things until she kind of reaches for the light or the cell phone and hits the torch and app. And, uh, and then, yeah, there's the idiot I married. <laughs> and, and it eliminates the sort of irrational and distorted pictures and images that, that start to creep in, that there really isn't a zombie uh, in the room. It's just, uh, yeah, just me. And you should feel sorry for her uh, because of that. Now, maybe you aren't married to a child. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been in a, away in a motel room or Airbnb or someplace that you're, you're not familiar with and, and you're just in there. And then during the night, you hear a strange noise. You wake up and you're like, is that a murderer or is that, uh, I don't know, a robber or, you know, a person snatcher? You've all seen Taken. You know what happens uh, there. And, and then you hit the lamp, the bed lamp or whatever you've got. And it's just like, it's just your coat that you hung up on the door, making some kind of a shape. And the light brings uh, clarity. The light reshapes distorted perceptions, distorted shapes. Uh, it removes unwarranted fears and hopefully, you know, helps you go back to sleep at night. Or maybe, and this is probably, you know, this is where it gets really serious. Maybe you've been out on a long day hunting, uh, you know, all day, haven't seen too much. And as darkness settles in, last light run, all of a sudden, you're, just, you're seeing pigs everywhere and you're thinking, oh my goodness, could it get any better than this? Until you turn, until you turn the light on and these things are just shady you know, stumps and bushes that look like pigs in the dark. Darkness distorts truth, twists our ability to see and perceive things well, but light helps us to perceive accurately you know, what we're trying to discern. Light allows us to perceive reality and in doing so, light allows us to, to live well. Light allows us to function well, sleep soundly. Light makes things public. It makes things known. Light also helps you not to shoot the wrong things, which is very handy. In this passage, Jesus is pointing out that there is a, there's a spiritual parallel uh, to the physical light from a lamp. A light that lamps a room There's a spiritual parallel between him and your soul and how he is light for the soul. Jesus takes this basic practice from everyday life and applies it to himself. The purpose of lighting a lamp is to light up a room. Once it's become dim or dark, there's no electricity, no iPhones back in the day. Uh, so lamps are just these little vessels, cups or, or, or whatever, filled with oil. They've got a little wick. 
and you light it and and the room lights up. You know, you watch Netflix, you've seen Vikings. I know none of you have watched Game of Thrones, but if you have, uh, you know, these lamps, they light up the room. And uh, whatever's happening in the shadows, whatever is in the room that you're trying to work out, it, it becomes illuminated and you see clearly. The purpose of a lamp is to help you perceive the room, to see purposely, to see truthfully. And everyone's like, yeah, but what no one is doing is grabbing their little lamp because this is absurd, this is ridiculous, and then lighting it and then taking it down to the cellar and going, yeah, cool, we can't see a thing, we'll put the lamp down there. No one, no one is doing that so they can remain in the dark. And then no one's lighting that lamp and then putting a, a cover over the top of it so it's ineffective. And everyone's just like, no, duh, Jesus. We know that. Like, there's nothing new. That's, that's all. No one does that. Thanks for shedding light on that, but no one's doing that. I've got to try not to cough. It's hard to breathe after a cold, I've just discovered. But Jesus is not giving an optics lesson. He is giving a, a salvation history explanation. He's using the use of a lamp in a, in a home as an illustration of God's use of him. God sending him into the world. After all, the current conversation that's happening through chapter 11 is who is Jesus and what is he doing and the claims that he's making. And Jesus is saying, just as you good folk wouldn't do that with a lamp, wouldn't light it and hide it in a cellar or put it under a basket, God wouldn't do that with the light he is sending into the world. He wouldn't put it somewhere ineffective. He wouldn't put it somewhere hidden. Way back in Luke 2, uh, back in 2020, uh, for us, we're journeying through Luke. Um, some of us will be well and truly in retirement villages by the time we finish. But Luke began his account of Jesus by attributing to Jesus the function of light, one who reveals truth, removes distorted and shadowy kind of views and understandings of God. Jesus is the means through which our distorted view of God is being transformed. How our misinformation about God is being, is being made clear. How our mistrust towards God is being given confidence. How our fear is being renewed with peace. Hostility and enmity turn to accurate knowledge of God that, that leads the soul to peace. That's what he's doing here. If you want to know what God intends for humanity, Jesus brings clarity. Jesus reveals truth around the issue. Jesus also exposes the relational problems and puts himself forward as the solution. Like a lamp lighting up a room, Jesus brings clarity to the human environment, to the human need, to the condition of our souls and our relationship with God. Zechariah in Luke 1, 78 to 79, so right at the beginning of this gospel, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Hasn't been able to speak for a little while. This is his, this is his words towards the end of his, his explanation. He, he begins to say this, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and guide our feet to the way of peace. Like that just sounds awesome. That just sounds like something you should print on a T-shirt and just wear around everywhere. But he is talking about Jesus, about how Jesus is the tender mercy of God towards humanity. Come into, physically come into human history. So not a myth, not some kind of idea, but a person. Come to do what in this year? 
come to give light, come to illuminate truth to people living in shadowy, shady existences of uncertainty, not, no clarity around who, who God is and what is necessary to live well and be at peace with God. And then a couple of days, or a month or two, actually probably a month because Jesus is not born, but anyway, there's another dude, Simeon. He's in the temple. Jesus is being presented. This guy, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is not his own thoughts. He's, he, he's, he's being inspired by the Spirit to say these things. He's been promised that he'll see the Christ. He's been promised that he'll see God's salvation. And then Jesus kind of is carried through and goes, there it is. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, according to your word, a whole of history, according to your word to me. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all people. It's not a secret. This is a well-known story. We all have it. We all know about it. A light to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. Again, Simeon is talking about Jesus. And how Jesus, even though he is God's promise carried by the Jews, the Jewish people hold the story, they hold the narrative, they hold the, the, the heritage, the history, the seed, if you like. God is no exclusively tribal deity, uh, geographically limited kind of a setup. He has come for all people to bring light, even to those shady Gentiles. Liberation from distorted views and practices towards God. Everybody is going to be able to receive this light that's tied up in Jesus. At the outset, Jesus is framed as one who comes into the world as light that brings salvation, that brings clarity and peace to the soul, as, as the stronger one, as we've been seeing in Luke's gospel, who overthrows darkness Darkness that holds people in the shadow of death is, that, is the poetry, is the language that gets used in this gospel. John's gospel is even more overt in its description of Jesus as light. True light that comes into the world, that shines in the darkness, that reveals the human condition of distrust uh, towards God, of deception towards the heart, of hostility towards God. But because people actually love this kind of darkness, because it plays into everything that they want to do, that they love, uh, they think they, they, they reject the light that comes, foolishly thinking that their wisdom is, is enough truth, is real truth. They reject the offer of light. Why? Because it confronts, because it, need, it asks for change which is precisely what Jesus is encountering in Luke 11. People want Jesus on their own terms, not his. So they reason away the light. Or they say, it's not enough. We want more. Do another party trick. Now, there are times in the Gospels, in the historic records about Jesus, where he uses light as an illustration of believers' witness to the world. You know, we think back to last week about what Andy talked about. We're ambassadors. We're ambassadors of light. But that is not the case here in Luke 11.33. In this illustration, Jesus is speaking about himself. He is light, and he is light that is kind of metaphorically, if you like, been put on a lampstand in the room of the world for everybody to see. It's public. In John 18, <clears throat> Jesus says to the religious leaders, who are the audience who are currently hearing you know, this dialogue, I have spoken openly to the world. 
I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. His point is, he is light that is public. It's not hidden. There's nothing about his life. There's nothing about his message, his claims, his ministry that has been done in secret or disclosed, uh, you know, and given only to a a particular elite sort of selected few. There's no holy huddle in anything that Jesus is doing. Jesus has done his, his saving work, his reversal of the effects of sin and his restoration of people on the public and open stage of human history. All his works and all his words, like light, are radiant with the revelation of the glory of God. As you look at the life of Jesus and everything he's doing, you've got no other choice but to conclude that here in person is the glory of God, the tender mercy of God towards humanity, towards people whose lives are jacked up, messed up, and in darkness. God is not trying to make knowing him a mystery or some unassailable task. You don't even need to earn the right to know God or prove yourself worthy. That's been a bit of the issue with Jesus. Jesus has no filter on where he lets his light go. He's been going around making a community of believers, of followers, out of, out of unreligious people, out of people on the margins, out of messed up people, sinners, self-righteous, all these people. None of them have, have been like held back or, 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 or cut off. Jesus has made knowing God as accessible as that of light from a lamp placed in the middle of a room that illuminates all things. That's the picture here. Jesus crushes the idea that finding God, finding ultimate truth and meaning of life is something that is hidden, is something that we kind of need to work hard to find out or discover or, or achieve that emerges out of some kind of human endeavor, human pursuit, or, or that it exists locked away somewhere inside of you. And all you have to do is unlock that little bit of light and out it comes. That's not, he crushes that kind of thinking here. Rather, it is something that God does for us. That's why you need I to receive it. It has to come from out to in. It comes to us. It is God who serves the human need here. And he serves it unambiguously and perfect clarity in the person of Jesus. The question is, what will you do with Jesus? Do, do you let him bring his light, his claims, his story into your story? Or are you like the crowd here in chapter 11 who kind of reason away is not fit for purpose? Or, or do you come with your own lists of demands and negotiations? You've got your own light that you want to shine on Jesus and see if you can make a Jesus of your own making. Tell him about your light. Tell him about your wisdom. It's all just fine if he would just fit into that. That's not how Jesus is. It's a very, it's a very strong statement that we have here. He is light. He is ultimate truth. 
and you accept him on his terms or you haven't accepted him at all. In chapter 11, 34 to 30, uh, verses 34 to 36, Jesus makes another observation about our physical experience of light <clears throat> and then he uses it to provide a, a spiritual parallel. He has taken the use of a lamp and he's given it a personal application to him. I am light, he's saying. God is at work publicly and perfectly in him. And it fits right into the mission statement that he rolled out uh, in Luke 4, where Jesus kind of rolls into the synagogue at Nazareth and he pushes all of the chips about who he is into the center of the table. And he says, I have come with God's power and blessing to undo all that sin has done in the world. To use the words of chapter 11, I am the stronger man, the divine warrior who proclaims good news. We're back to chapter 4 in Isaiah. Good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, and who recovers sight of the blind by setting at liberty those who are oppressed. And we know that in that moment, Jesus meant that physically, uh, practically, and he also meant it spiritually. He meant it relationally about, about reality between us and God. And now what Jesus is doing is turning the light on the audience back onto us. And he says, you have a responsibility toward this light, towards me that's come into the world. Your eye is a lamp of your body. And when your eye is healthy, this is verse 34, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives light. Again, Jesus takes what is naturally observable uh, from life. If your eyes are healthy and they let light in well, um, you know, and that light comes by way of information accurately to the brain, then the person can flourish in that environment. They can do well in that environment. But if your eye is bad, the information is lacking. It gives you a distorted read on the room, a distorted read on the environment. You live with poor information. You live a kind of a, a shadowy life. Should have gone to spec savers. Have you seen those ads? They've traded on this idea uh, with their ads. All manner of disasters happen because people don't see well. Uh, I think there's one, some, some chicks, she's run across the street, she thinks she sees Carl Stefanovic. Anybody watch Channel 9? No? She takes a selfie with him, not him. There's the dude who, who goes to spike the volleyball but hits the pigeon or the seagull, smacks the seagull in the head thinking, you've got to watch more t TV, you people. At least start watching Marvel movies so that half of my things are relevant. Bad eyesight affects and impacts how you interpret the environment which affects how you function. That's a well-known fact. Jesus takes this observation of optics and bodily health, and he says the same thing is true spiritually. And it's not a stretch here. It's not an unfamiliar uh, metaphor substitution that Jesus is using. In the Hebrew and Greek culture, the eye often had a synonymous uh, substitutionary parallel role of being used to describe uh, for the receiver not just physical light for the body, but spiritual light for the soul. 
It's a known parallel. Jews often said a good eye. A person, if, a guy, if a person had a, had a generous life, if, if you could look at them and see that they lived a life that was in line with the law, they would say that person has a good eye. That person has a healthy life. But if you lived a stingy, bitter, kind of crazy uh, life that wasn't in line with the law, then you, you had a bad eye, an ungodly Life, a life of compromised. A good eye was a singly focused life. A bad eye was, a, it was one that was all over the shop. And Jesus grabs this and he says, if the lamp to your spiritual life is good, then your whole life is healthy. But if it's bad, you are in darkness. You can't see or perceive reality accurately in a way that leads to life. And Jesus is claiming that he is the healthy lamp, the good light that the eye needs. You need to filter information through Jesus to receive it uh, clearly, accurately. Any other filter, any other light mechanism is actually darkness, false narratives. It's what lies behind Jesus' stunning universal claim in John 8, 12, that he is the light of the world, a peerless ultimate truth. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is the only means for people to see accurately what God is doing in the world and and how they should respond to what God is doing in the world. How you respond to Jesus determines the, the health of your spiritual life, is Jesus' claim here. And yes, it is stunningly egocentric, stunningly self-authoritative, stunningly exclusive. Jesus' point has been that throughout all chapter 11, his public life, the body of work that they have seen, that they have witnessed, backs up his claims, gives evidence that he can say stuff like this. When our eye of our souls are clear, when they are seeing things accurately, which is something that the Holy Spirit enables, begins in us, then the light of Christ, his claims, his love is a lamp that not only shines into but warms up the soul so that it starts to walk, starts to live in accord with the commands of Jesus. We see and perceive His claims, Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the one who overcomes sin, transforms the heart. We see and perceive that Jesus actually died on a cross to achieve that and that he rose again to become the head of this community of people who would live with renewed hearts and would delight in him and what he has done and he is continuing to do in them. Jesus says, if this is not how you see me, if this is not how you perceive me, if this is not how you encounter me as good light that shapes your life, that transforms your heart, if this is not what drives your religious practice, if this is not what drives, like name a thing, just name anything and put it in there. If it's not what drives your uh, sexuality, your marriage, your finance, your approach to work, relationships, all of the topics that we face, then you don't have the kind of light in your soul that leads to life. It leads to good and healthy relationships with each other and with God. 
If you want ultimate truth about God, about money, about work, about recreation, relaxation, sex, relationships, Jesus is saying, I am the light towards all of that. It's like what Andy said last week. You can go in there and find any topic you like. Let's go and have a chat. Let's go and have a chat about what Jesus has to say about money and, and, and how that shines a light on where our soul's at. Without Jesus, uh, you have the kind of light in your soul that keeps you in darkness. That's just crazy, isn't it? Light that is dark. But here's the issue. It's not light. It's just what you have without Jesus. And no matter how good you are at it, it will always be your best effort at getting it wrong. Jesus is not being subjective here. He is stating reality. A heart, a soul, a life that has received good news, that is the message of Jesus, will be warmed, will be transformed and illuminated to live radically different but totally content and full lives. That's the promise. I haven't come to enslave you. I haven't come to make you miserable. I've come to give you life. If you look at my public ministry, if you look at the things I've done, the known facts about me, I restore lives. I don't crush them. I restore relationships. I don't tear them apart. I bring people to praise of God, not, not distortions and misrepresented ideas. How, how blind... How blind is your soul, how blind is dark is the light in you if you can't see that, if you can't perceive that. Darkness distorts what is good. In darkness we try and define what is good, but it's an ineffective perspective. Jesus says all that goes when he turns up, and that's the rub. Because we actually love darkness. And it's not until we experience the light that Jesus says that he will bring to your soul that we find peace that allows us to live authentically uh, without manipulation or fear or need to prove our worthiness. Because a life that has encountered the light of Jesus is a life that knows it is fully known by God, like every shady, dark thing you ever did, fully known and yet fully loved. Why? Because of the known facts about what Jesus has done on our behalf. Bring us into a new reality, a new relationship with God, which means sin and its consequences have no hold over you anymore. They still might be there, but they have no hold, no power over you anymore. No need to shape your reality, but rather the grace of God found in Jesus shapes how you interpret all things. And it's as simple as remembering this pretty simple stuff. How did Jesus treat me? What did Jesus do with my, and again, like name an area of your life where you abused a relationship or a spouse or a friend uh, we, you know, work privileges, a neighbor, 
you know, the dude you road raged against on your way to church this morning. Name an area of life where you denied God as ultimate in that and put something else there in its place to get what you want, to self-serve, to self-save. Name those things and name how we've loved the darkness. And what has Jesus done in response to that? What are the known facts, the light on the lampstand about how Jesus responds to our failures, however you want to put them, our rebellion? It's simple. It's, it's this story of substitution. He takes all of it, which is what the cross is all about. Every dark act you have ever done will be removed from you and, and placed on him. That's the tender mercy of God towards us. This is the light in the dark world. God has come with grace, and that grace is Jesus. And the more he shapes your life with, with his light, the clearer you're going to see reality. Good news is this. God is not trying to hide this from anyone. He's not trying to make it difficult. Not trying to set it up as some unobtainable standard or knowledge that you've got to try and find. He has simply sent Jesus. And the question is, have you investigated that truth, that life? And I'm not talking about secondary, third rings. Like, all I heard, you know... This person, Oprah, say this about Jesus. Not even what I tell you on a Sunday. Have you gone to the source? Have you sat? And again, like what Andy said last week, have you sat with the scriptures and looked at who, who, what are these claims, this historical document, what's it telling us about Jesus? This is, his, this is what he's pushed across the table for us to know him. Don't worry about what anybody else says. There's your source document. Have you asked the questions about him to find out what he's like. And the promise getting pushed back across the table that we've seen throughout Luke, and, and, and it kind of links back to that prayer, is those who ask, those who seek, those who knock, those who pursue God authentically are going to find him. And they're going to be given more than they could ever dream about because the, 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 the end of that prayer, as Jesus begins to tell us how to, communicate with God is and it's and it's random it's out of the blue is the promise of the Holy Spirit it's the promise of God's help in our lives to actually begin to see him properly like it's not mentioned anywhere else until you get to the end and like he goes ask the father for all this stuff bread forgiveness and what's he going to give the Holy Spirit let's pray Lord we come before you now our hearts have known your story in Jesus. We hear it time and time again. But how have we responded to that? Have we, have, we, have we tried to control your light to us? Have we tried to control your narrative to us? Or have we just allowed you to be who you are, to come to us and say, I turned messed up, rebellious sinners into children of grace in an authentic and open relationship with God and their souls know deep peace and joy. Or are we still kind of coming with our own narratives, our own descriptions, things we don't want to let go of? We've got to hold our own truth, our own light. 
I guess this morning, my prayer is that as we go through books like the Gospel of Luke and we discover more and more of who you are, that that truth would sit in our hearts and begin to shape how we live, how we move toward each other, how we engage with the world. And this is our prayer this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.